to listen close to God's word. So let's pray now for God to help us to have open ears. Lord, we come to you now and we seek to hear from your word. And Lord, we confess to you our own spiritual deadness and inability. We could not force our own hearts open to love you and to treasure your word. But Lord, we know that with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You are able to shake us out of our, um, our sleepiness. You are able to turn our eyes upon your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would do that within every single one of us this morning, that we would hear from you your word of life and live by believing and receiving every word that we read. So help us now, Lord, to pay attention to your word. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'll read there from verse 36 to 39. And I have no worries with asking for your total attention, because this is God's word that we're reading this morning. So let's read it together. Verse 36. For the Lord will vindicate His people and have compassion on His servants when He sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining bond or free. Then He will say, Where are their gods? The rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering. Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. We're going to think about these few verses this morning. And our brother Dwayne last week took us through the wider context of these verses. And we looked at God's character and His justice and His vengeance and His compassion. All of those things which are so prominent in this passage. But as you know, God's Word is so deep, there are many things for us to continue to understand. And in this passage, this morning, I want to point out to you one specific thing that this Song of Moses, which is the wider context of this passage, is, is talking about of Israel in the future. If you know anything about Deuteronomy 32, it's the song that Moses is teaching the people of Israel to sing generation to generation, sing it over and over so that their children's children would be able to remember it. And Moses gives a really interesting reason. It's something that makes us go, oh really? Is that the reason? He says, this song shall be a testimony against you and your children. So I'm teaching you this song to charge your offspring with guilt because they will conduct these terrible things that this song shall describe. It's a prophecy. It's a, in one sense, it's a statement of fact that the children of Israel will commit, commit these horrible things. And the song goes on to describe what God will do in response. So it's a song that's to be passed down to stand as a testimony against their future guilt. And what I want to tell you this morning is that what is true of Israel and the guilt that they have, they certainly will have, is also true of every one of you. Why is Moses has such confidence to say, this will be your guilt, this will be your wrongdoing? Because God has given him to know human nature. It is from the nature of humanity to, to conduct these things. And you and I are human also. And what God has to say about what Israel will do, you have also done. You do it continuously. And that's why I want to ask for your utmost attention this morning. Because God's Word now will tell you 
that this is your guilt before God. Now, what is this great thing that we are talking about? What is this one thing that throughout the whole of the Bible, over and over in the Old Testament and in the New, we read of this one great sin that every human being continues to do, that God is so opposed to and offended by? I wonder if you can see it in this passage. Verse 37, he will say, Where are their gods? Where are their gods that they took refuge in? The word is idol worship, idolatry. The worship and the bowing down towards false gods. It is the sin that if you read through the Old Testament, you almost start scratching your heads thinking, don't Israel get the point already? Why do they keep doing the same things? Instead of following God who took them out of Egypt and gave them this land, they keep bowing down to all these other gods, all these other religions from the other people in the land. They bow down to the Baals and the Ashtaraz and all these different names. You read through the, the Old Testament, these names change because they keep changing gods. As if you change clothes every season. But the one thing they don't do, which is so uncommon, is that they worship God, the one who took them out of Egypt. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their ancestors. Why do they not worship Him? But the consistent sin that they continue to do is what is called idolatry. They worship idols. They worship false gods. Now my friends, think about with me, why is God so offended? at the worship of false gods. Well, we have two answers to that in this passage. One is the futility of it, and second is the great wicked and evil abomination of it. The, the wickedness of idolatry. If you look at the first one, the futility of it, look here in verse 37 and 38. Then he will say, Where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. Now what this song is saying is that in the future, as Israel worships false gods, they will face trouble. They will face enemies. And you know the thing about these idols is that though you worship them, O Israel, they will not truly help you because they don't exist. They are a lie. They are deceitful. They will not deliver you on the day of trouble. When your enemies knock at the gates, they're not going to answer you with power from on high. And God says, look at the futility of relying upon idols. Think how stupid it is to bow down to a wooden statue when the God of heaven and earth is calling you to worship Him and instead you turn and worship a false god. And that is what... Israel consistently do and they tasted over and over again just read the Old Testament history a brief scan of it will tell you that consistently they tasted defeat and humiliation and shame culminating in the great exile where they were taken out of the land as slaves by Assyria and by Babylon they suffered defeat because they would not trust God but rather they bow down to idols. They bow down to false gods. And that's only the futility part of it. It doesn't actually help you because they're not really gods. But what about the other aspect, which is far more important? The terrible wickedness. Even as you read there what God says in verse 37 and 38, you can hear the terrible offensiveness of idolatry. Where are your gods? Let them rise up and help you. 
think how wicked it is to turn from this God who so blesses them above what they deserve and for them to turn aside from Him and to worship other gods, the Bible says, whom they have not known nor their fathers. These gods who have done nothing for them. They've not helped them. They've not given them good things. They've not blessed them. And yet they turn to give them their worship and their sacrifice. Give them their adoration and their sacrifices. It is a great wickedness. In fact, in Ezekiel 16, one of the hardest passages to read in the whole of the scriptures, in my opinion, it describes prophetically what it is like when Israel turns away from God to worship idols. It is described as adultery of the highest order. It is described as though Israel was the wife of God, but rather than loving the husband who lavishes his love on them, they turn aside to other lovers. They commit adultery. They not only commit adultery, but they decidedly choose to go to other lovers. That's what it is described with Israel turning aside from God to worship false idols, to worship other gods who are not really gods. It is a great act of insult against God to not worship Him who gives you breath and life. But as Israel does over and over, to turn aside to other gods and to worship them. Well, my friends, you can read here how rightfully deserving they are of calamity and of disaster and of destruction. A people who continually spit in the face of their God instead of giving Him the one who has blessed them with life abundantly. Instead of even thanking Him, they thank other gods. They run to other lovers. The wickedness and the futility of idolatry. If there was ever a people who deserved destruction, who deserved to be put to shame, it was them. It was these people who turned aside from God. But now we have to ask the question, didn't you say, Hanli, that this is true of me? Didn't you say that every single one of us, we are also guilty under the same charge? But you might say back and say, I've never bowed down to a statue. I grew up in New Zealand. I've never worshipped another God. I've never believed in another religion. How can you say that this is true of me? I'm not like those Israelites. Maybe for a time I didn't really worship God wholeheartedly, but I wasn't an idol worshipper. I didn't commit idolatry. My friends, idols are not merely the gods and the statues that we think of. Not merely the other religions that we come to mind when we think of alternative gods. I want you to understand something very clearly. Every single one of you is an idolater at heart. Now how can I say that? Look with me closely in verse 37 and verse 36. How does God describe idol worship? He doesn't charge them with the names of the gods they worship. He tells them, this is how you treated those idols. Look there in verse 37. Where are their gods? The rock in which they took refuge. There's the first point about idol worship. It is taking refuge looking to for protection in something other than God and the second point is this look at verse 38 who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering it is that to which you offer your sacrifices to which you offer your thanks and your adoration and your love and your sacrifices 
whatever it is you're sacrificing to, whatever it is you're looking to for protection and help and comfort and peace and guidance and safety, that is your God. Now my friends, our idolatry in the 21st century is far more sophisticated than wooden statues. Instead of worshipping these idols and statues, like those people of old did, they looked to them for protection. They sacrificed to them saying, please help me in my time of need. What do you do? Oh, you, you look to your money, don't you? You look to your financial success. That will be my comfort in the day of trouble. If I have enough money, all will be well with my life. If only I had the cash in my pockets, all shall be well with my life. That is your God. Or you who look to your family, if my children are happy, if my spouse and I are getting along, oh, then life is sorted. That gives me the, the maximum amount of joy and happiness and peace. If my family is there for me, all shall be well. That is your God. Whatever it is you are looking to, to be your first port of call, to be your greatest source of comfort and safety, your rock that you stand on, if it is not God, it is worshipping a false idol. My friends, it is whatever you are looking to. What is it that you are looking to then? What is it in your heart that gives you the greatest source of comfort and safety? Is it God Himself? Financial security is a myth, my dear friends. We all know that your, your money would fail you in the day of trouble. But you might say to me, but money has gotten me through many different troubles. Because I've had money, I was able to get through many things. Do you forget, you foolish person, who gives you these things? I remember an incredibly insightful conversation with my dad, who's not a Christian. And even he can recognize, he says, I worked hard. But I know many people who worked harder than me. But because of circumstances and opportunities that they did not get, they do not have as much as me. We all know, my dear friends, that everything we have comes to us from heaven. You could be the hardest working man or woman on earth and never have the opportunity to really earn a lot. My friends, it is God who must be your greatest source of comfort and safety. You cannot serve two masters. If money is your greatest God, by, by definition, you are not worshipping God. You are an idol worshipper. And God holds you guilty. God charges you with the greatest guilt and condemnation because you are turning aside from Him to worship something which is not God. Well, my friends, search your hearts carefully. What is it that you're looking for? Is it merely physical, sensual pleasures? If I have the best food and the greatest drink, if I have the best sensual pleasures and all kinds of immorality, oh, then life will be sorted. It is a great and terrible thing. Think about the depth of human depravity. Money and family can be good things. It is the depth of human depravity that we make sin our false gods. That we make our perversities and our immoralities that which we take pleasure in. My friends, think carefully about your life and the things that you delight in. The things in closed doors that nobody sees but God. He knows what you are doing. He knows the things that you take the greatest pleasures in. The things that you look to at the end of the day to give you joy and comfort. It is the depth of your sinfulness that you take pleasure in your sin. My friends, think carefully. 
because the Bible tells us every single one of you is guilty of worshipping idols. If you look to anything other than God for your source of refuge, the things which you sacrifice to, which you are willing to give up everything else to, the things that you talk the most about to other people. It's incredible, isn't it? We think about the total foolishness of what we do. Think about how many people praise their sports teams as though it was the greatest thing to them in their lives. The thing that they spend the most of their time thinking about. They can name every player. And when their team goes and fails and loses, everything in life turns to custard. One of the most shocking statistics you can ever hear in New Zealand is when the All Blacks lose international matches in the Rugby World Cups. Domestic violence rises by 25%. Why is our lives so tied to these idols? It is because we're looking to them to give our lives that comfort and that peace that only God alone can give. And again, think about every possible thing you can think of under the sun. Which of them will not fail you at one point? Which of them would not disappoint you at one point? Which of them could help you to face the greatest problem that you will ever face? death itself. Can your money save you on the day that you die? Can your friends and family give you comfort as you face the great depth of death? As you face the judgment of God that is to come the moment you close your eyes and cross the river? None but resting in God and His mercy will take you through death. But that leads us to, I think, something more astonishing than merely the fact that every one of us are guilty in our idolatry. Look at verse 36. The Lord will vindicate His people and have compassion on His servants when He sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining bond or free. Now we're talking about a people that consistently spits in the face of God and continues to commit spiritual adultery to turn to stupid foolish things Instead of God, God says, I will have compassion on my people who do that. I will have compassion on my servants. I will vindicate them. My friends, that is precisely what Jesus came to do. To rescue you who so wickedly look to other gods instead of the God who gives you life. Jesus came to turn you back to Him. Jesus paid the price for your wickedness so that if you believe in Him, God would not charge your wickedness and punish you for it. God would freely accept you based on the basis of the blood that His Son has shed. He will count His Son as sufficient payment and He will welcome you. He will vindicate you. He will treat you as if you had never ever done anything wrong in His eyes. That, my friends, is the measure of God's grace. Don't you think for a second that because it's free, it's worthless. We think that so often, don't we? We see things on the road, if it's free, it must be broken. No, my friends, it's speaking of the generosity, the sheer graciousness of God, that you who deserve destruction, He would freely welcome at the cost of His own Son. Don't you dare insult God to think that it is worthless. It is worth more than you could ever imagine. But it speaks of the total generosity of God that He freely offers to every single one of you to come to Him. But notice here, 
He will vindicate His people and have compassion on His servants when He sees that their power is gone. It is a mercy from God that He allows you to first experience and see the futility of other gods before you turn to Him for help. Here's the thing, my dear friends. If you continue on trusting in these other sources of refuge, other sources of comfort that are not God in Christ, one day when you die and face God, you will be totally, you will have no excuses before God. You will be totally put to shame and you will be destroyed because you relied on a rock that will give way. You relied on sand. Now my friends, unless you are brought to see the futility and the evil of what you are doing in relying upon God and relying upon money or family or other things other than God, here's the incredible thing. You won't turn to God. If you go on thinking, no, 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 this preacher might say this, but I really do think that if I have enough money, all will be well with me. You won't turn to God. If you really do think the greatest thing in life that could possibly happen to you is to have more and more sensual pleasures, you won't turn to God. And the thing is, if you continue in that condition, you will die. Don't you understand how terrifying it is to not only be worshipping false gods, but to be numb to the fact that you are worshipping false gods. You need to know by the grace of God that you are worshipping a false god. And those things will never be able to help you. You must experience for yourself the futility of any other sources of refuge except God Himself. My friends, I can only warn you. I can only tell you these things from the Bible. God alone can open your hearts to experience these things. Ask Him now. Pray to Him now if you do not experience it in your heart. If you have not felt the total bankruptcy of anything but God, ask Him to show you. Because if you continue to rely on these other idols, you shall surely die. God alone can save you. God alone can show you. Think closely on His generous nature. He has compassion on those who are worshipping idols. He'll have compassion on you if you turn to Him. He'll have compassion on you if you genuinely cry out to Him, God, show me the foolishness of relying on these other things and help me to rely on you. Help me to trust in Christ. You pray that prayer. God will have compassion on you, but you must do it. You must seek Him. You must turn to Him. And you must not stop until He Himself works in you. Until He Himself has compassion on you. Has He done that in you, my dear friends? It is a great question you must consider. Let's pray now and ask for His help. Oh Lord, we thank You so much for Your precious Word. And we read here, Lord, that every human being conducts this great and terrible sin of looking to something else other than you for our refuge, for our comfort, our joy, for our satisfaction. And we offer sacrifices to these things. We adore them. We tell other people about them. We boast in them. We take them to be the greatest thing in our lives. How wicked and how futile. And Lord, you know that all of these words are but words to warn. 
Lord, unless you open our hearts to the reality of these things, unless you help us to experience deep down in our soul the futility and evil of idolatry, we would go on in our foolishness until death comes and takes us. So Lord, would you have mercy on every single one of us? Would you turn us away from looking to other things and turn us to worship you? Help us, Lord, to call on you in the name of Christ for forgiveness, for help, for deliverance. Save us, Lord, we pray, because we cannot save ourselves. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.